The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Sean Benson, Vice President of Innovation for Clinical Solutions for Walters Clear Health. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here, Joe. I should say welcome back. Sean was here right before him's 15, and we're going to talk about some really great progress since then. Well, thanks for making the time, Sean. Before we start our discussion, could you take a few seconds and inform the audience about you and your background? Yeah, certainly. Again, I'm Sean Benson. I'm actually one of the co-founders of a company called Provation Medical that we founded back in the mid-'90s. It was a physician documentation company. It was acquired by Walters Kluwer about 10 years ago. And since then, I've been working on a lot of different projects within Walters Kluwer, focused primarily on innovation and working on leading-edge solutions at the point of care. Perfect. And then if you could give us a 10,000-foot overview of the work you guys are doing at Walters Kluwer Health. Yeah, we're focused on a, a new product called POC Advisor. And really at a high level, what POC Advisor does is it offers continuous surveillance of patients in hospitals. We analyze data in real time from lab systems, pharmacy systems, the EHR. We pull it up into the cloud, run it against hundreds of very specific clinical scenarios that we build, and then we send very specific evidence-based advice back down to the point of care to nurses, physicians, pharmacists, giving them really targeted patient-specific advice on how to care for a particular patient. We view this platform, this POC Advisor platform, as applying to many different clinical conditions, but we've chosen to start with focusing on sepsis in particular, primarily because of the tremendous cost associated with sepsis, both in terms of dollars and in lives. Sepsis is the single most expensive condition treated in U.S. hospitals, and over 250,000 people die every year in the U.S. because of sepsis. Did you say guns? Oh, wait, wait, sepsis, that's a whole different problem. Why Why aren't we up in arms about this? <laughs> Holy cow. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because sepsis is not something that is commonly known by the public. I think there was a recent study that showed that only about 40% of the U.S. public had even recognized the term sepsis. And oftentimes what happens is someone dies of sepsis, but it's presented as pneumonia or an infection. Or like with Muhammad Ali, he died of septic shock, and the initial reports were that he died of Parkinson's-related complications. And then they finally came out and said that he died of sepsis. So there's a public perception problem with sepsis, but it's, it's a really big problem. It kills more people every year than lung cancer, breast cancer, and AIDS combined. Amazing, amazing. And I'm glad you're working on it, though. 
When we last talked, Sean, you were in the beginnings of your study or your work with Huntsville Hospital, and you're starting to see good results that you reported. And I noticed recently the Journal of the American Medical Informatics Association published the latest details of your progress there. What can you tell us about the progress you and your team are making with Huntsville Hospital in reducing sepsis mortality? Yeah, we're really excited about what we've been able to do at Huntsville and the fact that we were able to publish our paper in JAMIA. In many ways, JAMIA is kind of the JAMA equivalent for medical informatics. It's the leading peer-reviewed journal for medical informatics, so we're very excited about that. When we first went down to Huntsville and implemented POC Advisor, we really wanted to study very carefully a number of key metrics to determine whether or not the system was working effectively. First and foremost, we wanted to make sure that the alerts that we sent out in real time to the point of care were accurate, that we weren't missing patients that were septic, and when we sent an alert, it wasn't what's called a false positive. You know, that's a huge problem with these alerting systems. They send out an alert. The person who receives it looks at it says, you know what, this isn't even relevant for this patient. So measuring those two criteria were really important for us, and we also wanted to make sure we measured really important outcomes like sepsis mortality, 30-day readmission, and any reductions in length of stay. So I'm really pleased to say that the results across the board were very encouraging, very positive. We had what's called a sensitivity of 95% and a specificity of 82%. And basically what that means is that when our alerts are sent out, we're catching almost every patient in the hospital that has sepsis, and we're also not sending out a lot of false positives. That's important because in our review of the, of the published literature, there is no alerting system out there that's ever attained those kinds of marks in terms of sensitivity and specificity. So we've really done something unique there. And then importantly, the outcomes have been great. We were able to drop sepsis mortality by over 50% on the units that were using POC Advisor at Huntsville Hospital. We also dropped the 30-day readmission rates for those patients by 30%. And we were able to drop the length of stay. So that means lower cost for the hospital, more lives saved, better outcomes with a more accurate system. So all in all, very, very positive, and we're very excited about those results. I want to go back over that 53% reduction in mortality. Yes, real people's lives were saved with this system. So without sharing the number, we're talking hundreds of people are alive today that wouldn't have been alive had they not implemented this program. That's exactly right, which is very gratifying. That's amazing. It's really great for us because we're not doctors, and we can't play a part in saving people's lives as physicians. However, we have teams of doctors internally, and we, from a company perspective, can build a product that can help enable the savings of lives, which is amazing. And it's also something that was really interesting. The CIO at Huntsville Hospital, he made a remark about all of this. He was very excited about the results, and he said, you know, a lot of times working in IT, we're kind of behind the scenes. We're working on infrastructure. We're not really having that direct impact at the point of care. And he said, this is the first time in my entire career that we can really make a difference at the point of care with IT systems. So it was very empowering for those folks in IT as well. Good deal. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other stakeholders. How important was it to get clinician buy-in to achieve these kind of results? Well, it was really important to get both nurse and physician buy-in because we're sending the advice out. But if that nurse or that doctor 
doesn't believe the advice, doesn't trust the advice, they're just not going to follow it, and we're not going to get the right outcome. So as part of the implementation, we spend quite a bit of time educating the nursing staff and the physician staff about sepsis protocols, what to look for with the early detection of a patient that's becoming septic, what the published literature says is the appropriate interventions to take for a patient that's becoming septic, and then also getting agreement on things like what to do when they identify a patient, what should they order, who should be contacted within the hospital, what should those processes be. And a lot of that had to come down to education and trust. You know, if the clinicians didn't believe what we were saying or didn't trust in the system's accuracy, again, they wouldn't have used it. But I think we were able to be quite successful in that area, and that made a big difference in our outcome. Outstanding. You must have discovered some of the things that are problematic or some of the reasons that clinical decision support systems don't work, and you probably had to adjust those. What are some of those things? Well, I think one of the things we discovered very early on as we started to surveil these different patients and apply it against our rules is that we realized that there are all kinds of different patients coming through a hospital like Huntsville, a very large hospital with many different conditions, a lot of different medical histories and things of that nature. And many times that additional information was really important in analyzing whether or not a patient was septic. So, for example, there are these guidelines that are available currently from the IHI around septic patients, and the guidelines are well-defined, but the bar is set pretty low so that if you just went by the guidelines, you would think that 50% of the hospital had the signs of sepsis. And so what we had to do is take those guidelines and build a lot more intelligence into the guidelines to take into consideration the patient history, the medical history, social history, to make sure that when we received vital signs and lab results, et cetera, we coupled that with the medical conditions, ran that against our clinical scenarios to ensure that we really were sending out accurate alerts and we weren't just sending out an alert saying, hey, this patient has sepsis according to the IHI, and then the clinician would have received that, looked at it, and said, no, this isn't right. So that was a big learning process for us. The thing that was heartening for me, though, is that it only took us about a month to build in the additional smart that we needed to make the system as highly sensitive and specific as it is. Wow. Are you finding, Sean, the same kind of results at other healthcare entities? Yeah, you know, what we're doing right now is we're undertaking a few pilot programs with some other health systems, and we're finding very, very similar results. We're not live at those systems, but we're taking data from those health systems, running it against the POC advisor system, and then analyzing when, for example, POC advisor would have identified the patient as being septic versus when the health system actually did identify the patient as being septic. And in a couple of these cases, we're finding that we're able to identify these patients seven and eight hours even before the health system is doing it currently. That translates into a potential mortality improvement of about 30%. So again, we're finding in these proof-of-concept sites that POC advisor is able to identify patients much more accurately and much, much earlier in the process. And that early detection is really important because for every hour that you can identify a patient 
as being septic and administer the appropriate antibiotics and fluids, that patient's chances of survival improve significantly. Every hour you wait with a patient that has sepsis, their mortality chances go up by 8%. So time really is of the essence in identifying those patients. Sean, this is going to sound like I know what I mean, but I absolutely don't. I'm going to have you sort it all out for us. But you mentioned JAMA, and they recently recommended a switch from the SERS-based method for identifying sepsis to the SOFA and QSOFA method. What does all that mean? Yeah, it's really been something that's been worked on for the last few years. I think there's the old definition using what was known as the SERS criteria for sepsis, and that was something that we've used quite a bit, and it's very effective at identifying patients early. It's getting after that early detection. But the challenge with the SERS-based method is that if you're not careful and you don't apply it very well, it looks like everybody in the hospital has sepsis. And so the pushback from physicians especially over the years has been, hey, this SERS method is highly sensitive. You're catching everybody, but it's not very specific because you're giving me tons of false positives. And so the attempt with QSOFA is to kind of swing the pendulum the other way to say, you know what, let's raise the bar on identifying which patients have sepsis so that when the Q-SOFA says the patient has sepsis, they really do have sepsis. Now, the challenge there is that I think hospitals and health systems are going to wait too long to identify a patient as being septic before they start the treatment. And again, early detection is really important in the process. And so, What we've done with POC Advisor is we've actually brought both of those definitions together and are supporting both of those definitions because we think that there's a really important component for the SERS definition to be at the table because of that early definition, but at the same time, we're very careful with our product to ensure that when we send the alert to the physician to say this patient has sepsis, that we really do know that they have sepsis so that we're not bringing that physician in too early, we're not over-alerting, and we're not sending false positive alerts. Got it. Sean, tell us why sepsis is much more than a patient safety and quality issue for a hospital. Well, I mean, it really touches on a number of different areas. I mean, it's clearly a, a quality issue, clearly patient safety. It's also a huge financial issue. We did an analysis recently of 1,000 hospitals in the U.S., just to try to figure out, are hospitals losing money on their sepsis care? Are they making money? Is it break-even? Just to understand kind of what the finances were. And it turns out that of those 1,000 hospitals, fully three-quarters of them are losing money on their sepsis patients. And actually, half of those 1,000 hospitals are losing $1 million or more per year on taking care of these patients. So it isn't just a quality issue. It isn't just a safety issue. It truly is a financial issue as well. So one, we can avoid it and not even see those services they're not making profits on. And two, it's not profitable to begin with. How crazy. So let's just avoid it. I love it. What have you learned about monitoring and managing this patient data? Well, we've learned a lot. It's really important to have good data coming in, you know, kind of the garbage in, garbage out principle is really important. And so one of the things that we've done as part of our implementation at Huntsville, and we're actually doing it 
Halifax Health in Florida, which is our next system to go live here in the next couple of months, is to make sure that we do a review of the documentation in the EHR as part of the implementation to ensure that the right data is being captured in those systems so we can pull the right data and use that in the POC advisor system. The other thing that we're looking at right now that we're pretty excited about is using NLP or natural language processing to analyze unstructured data that's in the EHR and to build that into our rules as well. We think if we can go to health systems with that dual approach of both being able to pull structured and unstructured data and feed it into our knowledge base, that'll really make it a lot easier to implement the system because the hospitals won't need to change the way they document. And we think it'll make it even more rigorous than it already is because we'll be able to tap into that unstructured information as well. Outstanding. And what have you learned about how clinical workflow needs to change to facilitate CDS or clinical decision support, not just for sepsis, but for other conditions? Well, I think it's just a good example of how healthcare IT and advanced clinical decision support can be used at the point of care by clinicians in real time to move the needle on outcomes. One of the things that we did as part of this JAMIA paper is we did a survey of all the published literature out there around what good can clinical decision support do in truly affecting outcomes at the point of care. And it's clear that there aren't a lot of papers out there on this. There aren't a lot of systems that have been able to prove this out. So I really do think we're doing a lot of groundbreaking work here. But the important takeaway from our perspective is that we really can take clinical knowledge and information systems and deliver that information in such a way in a very evidence-based, patient-specific way in the workflow at the point of care in a way that's actionable that the clinicians can embrace and use to deliver improved outcomes, including not only lives saved, but also saving on the cost side as well. Perfect. Sean, as we finish up here, before I let you go, where can people go to learn more about the work you're doing at Walters Kluwer? Sure. They can go to our website, which is pocadvisor.com. It has all the information out there about the system, about the Jamia study, a number of other good information about sepsis in general and clinical decision support. So I'd recommend that you hit the website. And if you have any questions, feel free to just contact us through the website. Sean, it was a great pleasure again. Thanks for coming back and giving us an update on this great project and your great progress. Great. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And that wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Sean Benson, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.